This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Betty Boo. That's right, you heard me, Betty Boo. Oh, what a chat this is. We go right into the early days of of, uh, of, of, of Betty's introduction into the music industry and her, her work with the She Rockers. And it goes right the way through to, to becoming a pop superstar. And it's it's a lovely chat and, and, and you're going to fall in love with Betty because, yeah, she's just got a really lovely manner about her that, that just resonates through, uh, well, it will resonate through your headphones when you listen to this episode. Um, before we get on with the chat, um, a few thank yous. I'd like to thank Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network, which uh, this podcast is very proud to be part of. Um, I'd like to thank 76 for producing the audio on this podcast. And obviously, biggest thanks go to you lot for continuing to support Off The Beaten Track. You know, we're a few years in now with 400 episodes and we've... You know, we've 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 been so privileged to chat to, to so many amazing artists. And, yeah, and so it, it makes it even better that once I've had these lovely little natters with these people and I, I stick them on the internet that I get these little messages and I get these get these little statistics come through telling me how many people have listened to it and things like that and it, it just it's the cherry on the cake so so thanks massively and also um if this is your first time listening welcome welcome to uh, off the beaten track um you, you're late to the party but that's fine come in get stuck in take shoes off though please um and let me tell you about um, what you're going to get. You're going to get me asking questions to uh, all manner of incredible creative people. And, uh, and I have to answer it with a record pick. And, uh, and, and the, the, the questions sort of form a timeline throughout the, the artist's creative journey. And, uh, and, 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 and sort of obviously intertwined with their life story as well. So, um, yeah, it's been a real joy. And, and if you're here for, for Betty's episode, are you in for a treat? When you get to the end of today's episode with Betty, we talk about um, all sorts of artists. We talk about Chuck D. You can go and hear me talking to Chuck D. I recorded that a little while ago. You can hear me talking to uh, Rock Roll, you like the Foo Fighters, and Tommy Lee from Motley Crue. Um, if you like your indie stuff, you can hear me talking to the likes of Suede, Sleaford Mods, Idols, Block Party, oh gosh, Maximo Park, Foles, the list goes on. If you like people that can make you laugh, um, then I've had some great comedians on. Um, Maisie Adam, 
James Acar started Gamble, uh, stacks of, of comedians, producers like Butch Fig, Fatboy Slim. Uh, yeah, go have a look. Oh, and if you like your, your, your actors, Maxine Peake, Amanda Abington, Joe Hartley, Thomas Turgoose, Michael Smiley. Oh, the list goes on there as well. So needless to say, there's a big back catalogue of 400 episodes and uh, go get stuck in when you finish listening to today's uh, glorious natter. And well, let's get on with that. Let's get on with that. So please enjoy today's Off The Beaten Track podcast with the wonderful Betty Boo. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off The Beaten Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The Cacao Bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So one of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out, www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat. But yeah, in the coming months, there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us to win bottles of stuff. There's loads of exciting things coming soon and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. All right, let's get back to the podcast. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Betty Boo, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. Uh, how are you? <laughs> I'm all right. No one ever asked me how I am on this. That's uh, that's a first. <laughs> 400 episodes in, and uh, and yeah, you're the first person to actually ask how I'm doing. I'm all right, mate. Thank you. Um, we've uh, we've had a brief chat and uh, talked about what a glorious day uh, it is out there today. Um, but I want to before we get on with your playlist, Bay, ask mm. you a little bit about the kind of previous two years which were tough for so many people but I just want to ask you how you found um the the sort of two years in lockdown both personally and creatively well I um I was in the process of writing my sort of comeback um just before lockdown and um so when lockdown happened we we I just had to find a way of uh continuing the creative process and and in fact it sort of it was quite a good way of um being on my own and and sort of finding my voice again um and so I set up I've always had a setup at home but I literally made a little corner in our bedroom made uh, <laughs> have this little stuff I have tinsel or blossom <laughs> in this case um made my own little sort of uh sort of boudoiry kind of place and started um writing the rest of my record um so yeah it was it was okay for me but we're in the countryside so in Wiltshire and um it was okay we were able to get out and not see anybody um so and luckily we didn't lose anybody that we knew so um but uh but it did have its it was a bit weird wasn't it looking back now after 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 that i mean in fact when we had to go to the supermarkets and things and queue up and stuff like that and then it was usually just one at a time um 
I would stay in the car and my husband would go into the supermarket and often you know you'd have to wait like for an hour or something so I used that time in the car park to write songs as well so um I don't know I was all sort of in my own little world I guess um tell me a little bit about your kind of sort of work ethic then uh, over that time you said you sort of built a sort of DIY studio at home to be able Mm. to, to to record and such like would you set yourself up just tell me in general how you how you approach sort of writing do you set yourself like right nine to five today I'm going to write or is it when something's there and the creative duties are flowing right I'll jump on it now or like you know how how do you approach it well it's a bit of both actually um well the way we had we found a process of working um my producer and I Andy Wright um so I would send in my ideas and in a big file and then he'd sort of work with my ideas and then he'd send back a draft that I would have to then put some more stuff on. And then we just worked that way. Um, so in that way, because I knew that I he was sort of waiting for my ideas, it sort of pushed me to, to yeah. do that. Um, and also we have um, an engineer and mixer who's great as well called Gavin. And um, so he was waiting for my work to be able to plonk it in my ideas and things. And um, But... It was sort of, we had sort of um, six or seven versions of each track on my album. So, but that was the way I was able to work because I had to do it really. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. pushed myself. Um, and sometimes I had to dig deep because um, some days I didn't really feel like doing anything and you sort of get, I got a bit bored of cooking and, you know, you just felt a bit sort of, yeah. um, uh, I don't know, you just sometimes you just didn't feel inspired. So, but in order to, I just used to start listening to music yeah. on my headphones and things like that. Just get some inspiration. Okay. I'm going to start your playlist now, Ben, and I'm going to ask you, please, mm. for track one, to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. Well, I think I thought hard about this. It's a big um, question, this one. It is, because there are loads of songs, aren't there? And I, I had to. I just tapped into my sort of teenage years, and I think Thriller is a great, um there's great intro on that um mainly because of the drama um and the things that went with that the memory of that song and um I remember um at school we we would sort of practice the dance the zombie dance and everything like that and uh and we knew the words to the intro and everything with the guy talking at the beginning and um also um off my friends from school had an old, older cousin who lived in um, Fulham Broadway, and she had the VHS of the video. Oh, that was like <laughs> gold dust at my school. And someone had the making of on VHS. Yeah. And that oh, did was they like, really? oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this was the big deal. And we thought, right, we're going to take the 295 bus and bunk off school for the afternoon, go around to her house yeah. and um, go around there and we had orange squash and we watched this video it was really fuzzy and everything it was VHS um, but it just blew our minds yeah. the whole thing because it was like a mini film and it had um, it was revolutionary in lots of ways wasn't it I think it was one of the big MTV videos um, so of course you know and, ev- and everyone knew the words to the song and um, and the fact that he turned into a zombie as yeah. well on the video was great it holds up though it's like the, i mean the songs obviously just 
different level good. But the mm. video, uh, the, the impact that it had, you watch it now and you can completely see why. It still holds up. It's like, mm. it's an incredible, you know, I, I think around that time, like, he was just untouchable as an artist, yeah. wasn't he? And, yeah. And, you know, and, and the subsequent, you know, stuff that followed afterwards was was incredible as well. I'm sure we, we, we'll talk about um Jackson a little bit later as well but one of the things that I'm always interested in in asking songwriters mm. uh is about intro and mm. and and if when you was writing the debut record mm. the way that people would listen to that and get their music then is very different to how people get their music now mm. so and when you watch I watch my kids with their rapid thumbs just whizzing through <laughs> TikTok and all of that. Yeah. And, uh, and I just wonder if, like, writing pop music and, the, you know, there's so many oh, – I've never got this question right, Ben, and I've asked it 400 times. <laughs> but I just want to know if the kind of trends in how people get their music and the pressure to – get on Spotify playlists and to, to hook them right from the off, you know, like trim all the mm. fat off the song. Does any of them sort of trends in how people sort of listen to music ever filter through into your creative process? Do you get where I'm going with that question? I think I understand. Do you mean, because I've always written songs as if they're a three and a half minute pop song. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of, I've, that's always, always my, it's, I wouldn't say it's a formula, but it's just an instinct for me to know, like, you know, you have to have an intro. Uh, first, first. You don't need to be, don't, it doesn't need to be, it can't be too long or else it's too boring. <laughs> you've got to hold people's attention and then you've got to have a little bit just before the chorus that is a little bit of an, um, another little hook. Yeah. Um, and then you've got your massive chorus or not so much the massive chorus in some cases, maybe. Um and then there's there's a new thing in in pop music now. I think it's like a post-chorus, or it's like a something like a little refrain, and then you go back into second verse, and or maybe not. Just you know, I, I, I think there are lots of tunes now, especially I suppose with rap and stuff like that, and all the um, grime and things. They don't really necessarily follow that formula. Yeah. They're just they're vibes, aren't they? And um, they sort of go with a I suppose a culture and uh and they're made to sound really good in your car with a good system or yeah. or good headphones so um uh yeah no it's, it's sort of changed i i don't think it is a weird way, weird world we live in now with um spotify and things yeah. like that but you do have to i think i mean i'm learning every day because it's so different um you know ha- having so many different uh sort of versions maybe of the same track is good because you it keeps people interested um because that's the main thing you've got to keep people interested because now people's attention spans are so little and short aren't they well mine is actually (laughs) i've become that way um i don't know if it's my age or not but um (laughs) do you yeah do you think that kind of i know i know you said it's sort of not a formula but maybe that excuse me um that mindset of like the three and a half minute pop song. Do you think that as, as, as someone that grew up in the eighties, that was, you know, that, that was, was a songwriter and was in bands and stuff like, I feel that like that 
period of sort of through sort of synth pop through to pop and you know the, the mm. big heavyweights like Madonna and such <clears throat> it was we were spoiled for pop then it feels like and I don't know if that has just literally sort of set itself in stone inside me that that's my kind of go-to I want you know first big euphoric chorus I want a big poptastic chorus and I don't know if that's just because of the age that I am and growing up exposed to the music that I was you know, exposed yeah. to throughout the eighties. Do you think there's anything in that? Oh, definitely. We were spoiled for choice in the old days. <laughs> I think, um, you know, even songs like I don't know, even artists like Howard Jones. I mean, they had got to like to get to know you well, you know, like to get to know you better. You know, they were always kind of those hooks were great, and yeah. the, the instrumentation, the hooks in that in there as well that stick with you so when you hear them you do the little do 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 as well <laughs> um, um i don't know that's what i do in the car anyway yeah or absolutely. listening to pop master or something like that so. oh, i love a drop of pop master oh for oh. 10 30 every day God, that comes on do you know what how do you reckon you'll get on if you got on there because i sit there in the car and i smash it but i reckon yeah. the minute if i i spoke to him i'd crumble and i'd go to bits do you reckon you could hold your own <laughs> it depends on the era. I mean, you do get eras where, oh, sorry, who's Barry the Burmese? Um, <laughs> Barry! Um, he, uh, yeah, it depends. Like, if it's 80s or 90s yeah. or even noughties, Same. I'm usually good at that. But 60s, 70s, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I wasn't, I mean, unless it was like a Duran Duran question, early Duran Duran or, um, you know, sort of, disco that was coming up yeah. in that era oi cat oh, get off <laughs> right I'm going to take you back for track two yeah. and I'm going to ask you please Betty to tell me the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you please well I think Baggy Trousers is a fine madness yeah. really did because it just I don't know it was so fun and um I just remember dancing to it and doing the sort of moves and everything with my friends after school and dancing till we got dizzy and, you know, dancing to it and doing the moves and having to lie down (laughs) because we've been dancing so much and then ending up having to go and get a a glass of uh, Kiora Orange or something like that. Shout out Kiora. (laughs) Do they make that anymore? I don't know. They must do, surely. (laughs) That's got probably too many E numbers or something in it now. Exactly. So. That's why you was dancing like a loon. <laughs> Wired on Kiara. Oh, yeah, that's totally it, isn't it? Bang, bang on it on the uh, Kiora, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I loved and Anything by Madness. And actually, that era really did. I love the sort of the sort of scar stuff that was out at that time as well. Because, you know, it sort of, it really was a bit like, I don't know, Madness were from London as well, so singing with a sort of a London accent, everyone would sort of um, try and copy it. And uh, it was sort of in the days of um, like in Grange Hill or something. (laughs) You had Todd Carty (laughs) doing, you know, being a rebel and things like that. So um, it's so weird. They do go hand in hand. Whenever I think of like that period of madness, I instantly think of Grange Hill as well. You know, as much as I see Lee with his saxophone in the video flying through the air, I also see that sausage on a fork going through the air at the beginning of Grange Hill. 
it's true. It's true. <laughs> but I do think that um, I've said this so many times on on, on this podcast, and and uh, for the next question, so many people have actually chosen baggy trousers because I think it it says it all, doesn't it? That was working class school, wasn't it? It was, yeah. you know naughty boys and and every single and it's such and and i think because of the the way that madness's videos were so comical and funny and they'd always be sort of titting around when they were on the telly and and they just you know as a young lad i wanted to be in madness you know they look like the most fun ever but i think that that has not given them the uh sort of not credit, but the, the the kind of um love and and not love i'm the what I'm looking for respecting the the music community that maybe that has been given to um you know in during the blockheads or the kinks and I think mm-hmm. that madness and and I, I, it was it was lee wasn't it the wrote uh, not lee um uh Barson, was it Barson wrote most of the songs didn't he I think it's Chaz. I thought Chaz wrote most of them and, Chaz. And like, the, just the, the the social commentary in them records, yeah, is incredible. And mm. you know, there's, I think most people could probably list like ten, fifteen amazing Madness singles. Like they were just, yeah. even the B sides though, like Lost Bahamas Seven, oh. or whatever it was called, and and what was it? Did they do Swan Lake or something else? Yeah, uh, they, it was called the business. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> And it was yeah. brilliant. Like, and it was just, as a kid, like, I just think if you ever saw Top of the Pops on, like, Tiz Was or, or whatever, like, it was just an event, wasn't it? And they just looked like lads you'd see down the road. They looked like a gang as well. And I think... They looked like a gang. And they also looked like, like the older boys that you really kind of looked at and thought, oh, I really want to be, want to hang out with them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they'd definitely give you a like a, a little B and H, wouldn't they? Like they were no. definitely smoking. Like. <laughs> yeah, there was. Yeah, no, it's just it just brings back really good memories of, and actually buying the records as well. I mean, I've you've probably heard that a load of times, but physically getting that record and um, and watching it spin, you know, it's really because we didn't have much to do in when we were teenagers apart from play out and uh, play records. Um, and play sport in the streets. <laughs> Was you like a you know? nerd with music, Betty? Like, so with, with like the, if you got a record and you'd put it on, like, would you sit and sort of devour the sleeve and like, and, and, and read it and study it and. Yeah, no, I definitely used to do that. Look at the small print. Um, sometimes they had lyrics on there, which was the, a good thing. So you yeah. could sing along. Um, also the pictures, like for instance, I mean, with the Dare album, I was fascinated with that. Um, by Human League because that had the pictures of every member and even I think even the producer was on there as yeah. well. Um, that was fascinating because this I thought these people have actually they've gone into a room somewhere don't know where <laughs> but they've made this music and she's singing that bit she's singing that bit he's singing that bit and it was sort of you created your own story yeah. from those pictures. Um, and uh, and it was the same for Madness too. I used to think, gosh, you know, they're just they're just great. 
I, I love them. And I still do. And they're national treasures, really, aren't absolutely. they? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, like you said, you know, they look like the lads that, you know, were a few years older than you at school. But I think you look at like Dare, you look at the Human League, and they look like they were literally beamed down from space. Like they yeah. they were otherworldly, weren't they? And it sounded otherworldly what they were doing at that point. Yeah, because they had these instruments that really were very fairly new yeah you know like in synths and things so this was a sound that was new too and they were able to you know the sound of where those chords went in those songs was dictated by the technology that they had as well because you know they would have had presets in there that were really fascinating and to hear and um little sounds that maybe would have inspired philoki to sing something differently you know it's just these are all factors to how those things sound well we've spoken a lot about school so it's it's fitting that i'm going to ask you for track three <laughs> but tell me the song reminds you of your time at school please um or well, ghost town by the specials is yeah it's kind of they're all kind of related my sort of taste in the in growing up in school um it's very similar to sort of spe- um like, uh, madness and stuff but i love the specials i love terry hall um, I thought they were cartoony, the specials. In oh, really? Yeah. Even though they're moody and stuff, they were kind of like the video for Ghost Town where they're in the car and they're going through this tunnel and everything. I just I just thought, wow, they look amazing. I thought it was almost like a precursor to Gorillaz. Yeah, yeah. About it. Terry Hall so looks like a character from yeah. Gorillaz, doesn't he? Um, and I, I, would, I think I might have been about 10 or 11 at primary school and uh I do remember having arguments with um a girl a girl who was actually her family for were from the West Indies and she said that's not reggae that's that's just pop and I went well there's nothing wrong with pop it's brilliant <laughs> I think we actually had a fight on the, <laughs> had to be pulled apart and everything um and but uh, later in life she realized that it actually is a great song and um it's awesome but also it was kind of what was I didn't understand the content of it then. Even I think I was a bit too young to to know what it was really about. But because growing up in Shepherd's Bush in London, West London, um, you know, this, those it was like a ghost town in places as well, and Brixton and other areas, or most urban areas around the country. Yeah. You know, it, it was a ghost town, and people were really in a bad way. You know, they didn't have any future. Um, no there was no fun at all yeah you know Thatcher's years and I mean I don't I don't really like getting political about things but growing up through um you know Thatcher being our prime minister was awful yeah <laughs> wasn't it, it was oh, you're not going to so get an bad. argument out of me on that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we I mean my dog, little dog we had a little Yorkshire terrier called Bobby and um my nanny was a she was a socialist or stroke communist and um we we used to buy those toys that had a, a Margaret Thatcher's head on it. <laughs> so we could, the dog toys, <laughs> yeah, dog toys. So we just like <laughs> attack it like this, and we used to think it was really funny. Um, <laughs> so tell me a little bit about growing up there. Was it a, a happy place to grow up? Yeah, fairly happy. It was cosmopolitan. Um, lots of different cultures. Growing up in Shepherd's Bush, I feel. I'm, I feel like I was lucky to have grown up with so many different um, people from different backgrounds because, you know, there's lots of different foods you could buy, 
uh, we had stores that used to sell different things. And um, I mean, on our street, um, had lots of people from uh, the West Indies, Yugoslavia, um, Jewish, uh, Asian, Indian, you know, everything. And it was great until, you know, secondary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. School came along, and then, you know, everyone was sort of trying to find their way. And um, I mean, I remember being bullied slightly. Well, quite a lot, actually, because I didn't really fit in with many. Um, I don't know. It was either black or white. And if you were brown in those days, people just couldn't figure you out at all. Yeah. And I was half Malaysian, half Scottish. So most people didn't know where Malaysia was. and They couldn't understand it at all. So yeah. I used to get a little bit of a lip from people. But um, Was you confident, though? Yeah, I was, actually. I used to play... I felt found my confidence in sport and uh, I used to play netball um, for the for the school and I used to sing for the school as well like used to sing solos classical music <laughs> um, so they used, my music department used to send me off to do competitions and things and um, I always came second and the girl who um, there was one girl who always came first so I just thought well that's always obviously rigged <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so it was yeah it was fairly happy I mean there there was a there was um there was a division between poor and rich I think or well off and poor I mean you notice poor kids um at school because they'd have to queue up for a ticket for their um dinner you know to have lunch they had to go in a separate queue to pick up their ticket. And I used to think that that's really like, that they don't need to do that. <laughs> you yeah. know, everyone could just have their lunch because um, you had to pay at the cafeteria and everything. Um, but apart from that, you know, I think um, I, I enjoyed growing up there. It sort of definitely gave me my musical taste. I yeah. think I used to li- listen 
um, had friends across the road called Jackie and Alison. Their dad was from Jamaica and their mum was from Grenada. So they used to go down to Greensleeves Records and buy the latest stuff out of, you know, all the imports and everything. Um, and and they used to play a lot of soca, yeah. which I loved. But they had a wicked sound system in their house. And we didn't because we had a little tinny kind of, you know, one of those old fashioned, um, you know, the ones, the cabinets with the yeah, yeah, yeah. with the, <laughs> the record player in there. But they had, you know, big speakers and they took it very seriously. So to go around there and listen to music really loudly and hear the bass was was fabulous. Um, and and it was interesting because whatever was in the charts, um, you know, the normal UK charts, usually there'd be versions from Kingston of, say, Imagine by John Lennon or in a reggae version sung by somebody else. Yeah. And I used to enjoy that. I used to think that was great. Did you know what you wanted to be when you was at school? No, not really. I just think, well, I went to the careers office because we had to, when you were in the fourth year, I don't know what that, the conversion is now in, uh, in what the, the year's system's different well, I don't nowadays, get it. isn't I'll, it? I'll still say third and fourth year, don't worry. All so good. fourth year, you're sort of 14, 15, you try and work, you go to the careers office, um, you get asked or you're offered things of what you can do and everything and I and I remember thinking yeah I'd like to be a vet because I love animals and stuff like that and I remember the careers officer saying to me no I don't think so you know think you've got to get um be a secretary and you can't go wrong um and just get a couple of O levels and then leave school and Cheers. you know <laughs> Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's really, I've just told you I want to do something. Mm. Why can't you help me? And, you know, but anyway, so from that on, that day on, I just thought I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, but then I discovered rap music and started rapping in my bedroom and learning raps and writing raps. Um, and I formed a little little crew um, with a girl from school and we formed the She Rockers. And... Um, and I think it just sort of evolved from there, really. I just sort of, that was my sort of hobby. And then I thought, oh, I can actually, I think I could do something with this. And um, I didn't actually have a plan. I wouldn't say I had a plan. I think yeah. um, it sort of just evolved into something where I thought, this is what I really want to do. Um, and I loved, I loved the idea of making music. Um, but I used to re... Um, a lot of my friends were DJs, so they'd have two decks in their bedrooms or in their house, and you know, you'd the the only way of looping up beats was to get two records together sure. and try and write something over those. But you had to have a really good DJ who could do it on time. <laughs> Otherwise, that was a bit rubbish. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it definitely from, from about sixteen or seventeen, I thought I could do something, and I ended up. Um, touring with public enemy like my, my group and i um we did that for about a month or so in america in new york and philadelphia so that was sort of like my apprenticeship if you like i mean that's some apprenticeship betty you, you know <laughs> you've just sort of dropped that in there like quite matter of fact yeah, uh, I, I i mean that i mean let, I want to wind it back a little bit and, and just mm. uh, tell me a little bit because um we're very similar in age and and i from where I was, just outside London, when hip hop 
happened, the mm. excitement around it, of it was something from another planet, it felt like. Tell yeah. me about the excitement you felt when hip-hop was starting to sort of filter through into the UK and, you know, you'd grab whatever little bits you could get from wherever it was available. Like, just t- talk me through that, them kind of early moments of... Well, there were lots of... Um... Well, there were radio, there were radio, uh, pirate radio stations played that, mm. you know, whatever. If every, anyone went to New York, they, they would play the latest rap records. And there were certain DJs that did that. Um, I mean, Westwood was one of the pioneers mm-hmm. of that. And another DJ called Dave Pierce, Dave who's Pierce, on Radio yeah. London. Um, and and actually, Dave, not David Rodigan, uh but there was another DJ. Um, was it Mike Allen? Oh, was Mike Allen? Yes, it was Mike Allen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks for that. Um, he had a little show on Capital, didn't yeah. he? So, um, yeah, and he played the latest things that were around. And um, that, that was really exciting. But I also used to go to um, lots of clubs um, that would play that. And there was a club called the Astoria that used to play a lot of Public Enemy. And I remember hearing Public Enemy for the first time like Public Enemy number one with that little sample at the beginning. It was like, what is that? You know, it was like, that one. Yeah. Um, and it was it was just phenomenal. And Chuck D's voice was amazing. And, and, and that's the beats of it were so great. And I think they used like, a, like an SP-12 drum machine, which was almost like a sampler as well, where um, you could sample um drums and things as well so the, the sort of the quantize on there is really really amazing that's why it's got that kind of yeah. amazing beat to it um so um yeah i mean like again like i think pirate radio and some of the mainstream radio stations were able to inform us of what was around yeah. on another in another country but again they it was like god they who are these people that are making this new music? Yeah. I saw a clip online of, and I'd like to know a little bit of the backstory about it because it just looks like you've accosted Griff in like a, uh, like a burger bar or something. And he's just got a little boom box and, and he's beatboxing and, and then you just start rapping. Like, I mean, it's incredible. And like, what's the kind of backstory there? Oh, right. Okay. So, um, me and my friend, uh, we, we had the She Rockers then. Yeah. Donna, she was in the video of that. Um, we'd just been to the Def Jam tour um, concert. Yeah. It was 1987 and it was at the Hammersmith. It was the Odeon in those days. Yeah. I was there. At, yeah. Oh, were you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Well, it was phenomenal, wasn't it? It Eric, was, was just... it Eric B. And was it Eric B? Or was it LL Cool? No. It was LL Cool J because it was a Def Jam tour. Yeah. So. Um, Eric B, um, sorry, LL, um, Run DMC. Of course, Run DMC. And Beasties. It was that famous, famous one where the Beastie Boys were running havoc everywhere by nicking all the um, (laughs) V-dubs and and putting them around their necks and things. Um, So we'd just been to see them and that was in Hammersmith. So we were walking back and we went, it's a short walk down to Shepherd's Bush Green um, and and then we saw uh, Griff and um, his S1Ws, the guys with the Uzis, basically. Mm. <laughs> and they were in the McDonald's ordering 
a fillet of fish. <laughs> I don't eat meat. <laughs> and, um, and we went, oi, all right, we just went to your show. And um, they went, yo, you're into rap, obviously, because we were, you know, we had hip-hop clothes on. Yeah. Apart from me, who, by the way, had my granny's cardigan on because I was cold that day. <laughs> I said, <laughs> Manny, can I borrow your cardigan? It's a bit of pressure, yeah, <laughs> They had that and a, a pair of Adidas high tops. <laughs> it was like, that's a look, okay. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, and they, they noticed that we were into ha- uh, rap music and, um, and we talked about the show. And then he said, do you want to do some rapping? Because they, they, they had a camera because um, they, were, uh, they were filming their own little documentary because it was their first time in the UK. Yeah as public enemy um so they just started filming us and he had beatbox we, he was doing beatbox griff and we just started rapping our you know sort of raps that we were doing at the time and um yeah and that's how that came about but the the manager threw us out <laughs> it was so 80s as well we had like this cash, <laughs> just like watching that, that yesterday <laughs> <laughs> and i don't we weren't really causing any problems yeah. you know so he was ushering us out, and I think at the end I've stuck two fingers up it. <laughs> <laughs> that must have looked terrifying, giving him the finger in your nan's cardigan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ooh, it was trembling. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, so then we're walking up the street, and um, and then next to it was a Don, uh, Donna kebab, uh, or kebab machine, <laughs> and their local Jay was in there. No I way! Mean, <laughs> so surreal. On Shepherd's Bush Green. Can you believe God, that? Def Jam threw the lamest <laughs> after parties, didn't they? Got to go and get a fillet of fish or a donna yourself. <laughs> they, probably walked, they probably walked it themselves as well. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Um, Betty, I'm going to ask you for track four to tell me the mm. first song you remember buying from a record shop, please. Um, well, I bought, uh, when I had enough pocket money, I used to go to um, WH Smith in Hammersmith. There's a there's a mall there, and it's got. I used to go into WH Smith quite a lot because um, I used to buy my um, you know stationery there and books and things. Um, and they used to sell records. And one day, um, I, I really I really wanted to buy the um, "Don't Stop Till You Get Enough" um, Michael Jackson. I think that's the full title. Um, what is it again? Is it yeah? "Don't Stop Till You Get Enough" by Michael Jackson and. Uh, I just loved it. I just thought it was the greatest record. I just loved Michael Jackson. I thought he was fantastic. Um, and um, But it was great. There's another story as well, actually, because in the same week, my dad used to, um, used to work on the Central Line on, on the underground. And when he'd finished his shift, he had to go from his cabin right to the other end to see if anyone had left anything. And somebody would left a little R price bag with a little 45 in there, little single. And it was M by um, pop music by M. Sweet. So in the same week I got those records. <laughs> so I was made up and that was another, that was, I didn't actually pay for that one, but yeah. that's kind of in the same week I had those two songs and I love them. Don't stop till you get enough is if I answered these questions myself, I'd probably have that for greatest intro, the edit where it just goes woo and just goes. Like, yeah, because that's the, true. The full version's got that where he does a little bit of talking before it drops, yeah. hasn't it? Oh yeah, oh yeah, it goes a little bit like oh. <laughs> 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 I 
bit like that. <laughs> but when that goes, like, oh, I mean, for you ain't even got to be a fan of disco. That makes people want to move. It's it's incredible. That have you have you ever? I'm a bit nerdy for 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 me tunes. Have you ever heard the? They put like a box out of off the wall where they break and they break down all the tracks in all the different uh, stems Ooh. and stuff. Have you Ooh. heard? Don't stop till you get enough. No. Oh, baby, it's insane. <laughs> like, no, all the little, like, percussion, little ding, 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 no, no, oh it's That's yeah. Janet Jackson, who's about six, hitting a little bottle. Like, oh, my God. Like, I love that. It's so good. Yeah, if you want to be a real nerdy anorak, yes, Ooh. search for that because it's, uh, it's a real fascinating listen, that. Well, that might be my latest. I'm going to buy that. It's going it. to be my obsession. Do it. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit about record shops as as you sort of got a little older and, and you know, you'd, you'd, you'd probably have to search to find good hip-hop, you know, because the stuff that kind of was making it into the charts, a lot of the time in the kind of the, the mid to, 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 to late 80s would have been, there was lots of kind of your stuff like stutter rap that was pastiche in what was going on. But to get to get your hands on good hip-hop, would you have to sort of dig a little deeper than our price or Smith's? Yeah. Um, yeah, you'd have to go to import shops. I mean, some some of the shops in um, Shepherd's Bush and Labrick Grove would sell them. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking where I got my records from. They usually, I used to, there was a little shop in Shepherd's Bush Market that I used to go to and see if they had um, import, the latest imports and just see what they had and then buy them um, and not and you could listen to them and they play them and then you could see if you liked it yeah. liked it or not um, so I like that experience actually it was a really good thing to do and um, and but if I'm honest I used to just tape stuff off, <laughs> off the yeah. radio off, off, off um, pirate radio <laughs> well it cost a few quid didn't it to buy a record yeah. Um, yeah and I think that what you just said there you know, you, you like that experience. Like, I think that's something that's definitely sort of presented itself doing this this podcast is mm. the fact that so many people remember buying, like, a re- any record, not necessarily the first record, but they can literally pull out a record from the record collection and remember the journey where they got it and, yeah. like, and, and you know, the attachment to it and the sleeve. And, and I think there's something, without wanting to sound like an old man and, and, and go, oh, it's not like it was back then, because there's so many benefits to the way that people get music now. But I do think that journey is lost now, whereas you've got it mm. all on your phone in an instant. I think there's something really beautiful about going, oh, yeah, like we got the train to there. And then I remember sitting yeah. on the train and like, blah, 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 bought that. And I bought this and we was looking at the sleeve notes. And he's like, I don't know yeah. if that's just the nerd in me, but I, I've got very fond memories of stuff like that. And I think. Oh, no, it's definitely. It's just so tactile and, um, you know, just it is the journey taking the train or whatever. or um, And then that in, in moment where you pull it on your record player, yeah. you know, um, yeah, that was great. Uh, but yeah, but I did do, used to cheat a lot and just just <laughs> just take the whole a whole show of stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, imports are quite expensive as well in those Super days. Expensive, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were. Right, Betty, I'm going to take you clubbing. Tell me the song <laughs> that soundtrack your years clubbing, please. Well, it's um, it takes two. By Rob Bass and Easy Rock. <laughs> you keep picking records with incredible intros. 
doom, 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 doom. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so good. Um, and this just takes me back to clubbing, and it's you know it's got the famous woo, yeah, woo, yeah. And um, you know, um, I remember being in New York and hearing this, and Rob Bass and Easy Rock were there with DJ Red Alert and Biz Marquee. And it's so funny because I, uh, I mean, that was the bit like seeing, oh my God, these are superstars to me. They're yeah. like, I love this record so much. Um, and also the dances that we used to do to them, like the, the running man and all that kind of thing. And uh, there was another um, dance that we used to do called the WAP, which is like this. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's quite an easy one to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And uh, it's so funny because that time when I was in New York, it was during the time I was away um, with my group and we were, I basically, my mum didn't know where I was. I mean, I left, more or less left home. And um, How old was you at this point? 17. Wow. So, which is really naughty of me, really. Um, but my dad had just died, and I think I was running away, I think. Yeah. I just wanted to just do something, just to feel something. And um, so, anyway, so I was I was at this club, and and uh, basically um, nobody knew where I was, and my brother was listening to um, Dave Pierce on Radio London, <laughs> and he'd just been to the club where we were. I didn't see him there. But apparently he was reporting that he'd seen me <laughs> on air, me and the She-Rockers hanging out with DJ Red Alert um, and Rob Bass and Easy Rock. <laughs> and um, my brother said to my mum, he said, I think I know where Alison is. <laughs> he was seen at a nightclub out <laughs> in New York somewhere. <laughs> and this was like a week later. So it's like these are the days before mobile phones yeah. and, uh, you know, it was the days of reversing charges back home. Yeah. I think my mum had got fed up of me doing that as well. So, but I, I went home and they told me the story that they knew where I was. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Um, yeah. You said you was confident, uh, 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 you know, as a young woman. And you, you mentioned that all of a sudden, you know, you're in New York surrounded by your musical heroes and then obviously <laughs> moving forwards, um, to, to you as, a, as an independent artist and becoming, you know, a huge pop star and being, you know, I'm sure in the company of so many other people that have influenced you and inspired you throughout your career. Tell me oh. about imposter syndrome. Is it anything you've ever experienced? Do you experience it? Do you still experience it? Like, is that something that, mm. that has ever affected you? I did actually, I have to admit, when I, when I, I think when I signed my, I signed a second deal after I'd had my records with um, Rhythm King, yeah. I signed with Warner Brothers and they, they signed me for a, a, quite a lot of money and it was in the papers and everything. And I used to think, oh my God, I'm not worth that. <laughs> I'm not. Really? How, yeah, I used to think, oh, that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous amount of money. Um, and I used to feel like I had to go away for a couple of months and really get my head around it. I went trekking in the Himalayas. Um, and just to be with nothing, actually, to see how it just to feel something that I should be feeling, you know, yeah. I felt um, I got I got used to the idea. Which is okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being all oh, I couldn't possibly. No. <laughs> I got used to it and <laughs> I quite liked it in the end. But um, yeah. yeah, at the beginning for a young person, it's quite an unnatural thing to yeah. firstly to be famous and to have money yeah. a lot of money it's so unnatural you just really have to have your head on the right way around um not go mad not take drugs yeah. you know that kind of thing and uh i was very good so because i think aside from the purists that would, would have you know known about the she rockers to a, a lot of people i imagine they would have just thought there's this new pop star called betty boo and literally it felt like overnight you're everywhere mm-hmm. like how did how do you sort of make sense of how, how did you make sense of that at the time? Did it feel surreal, or do you think having the experiences you'd had previously with the She Rockers had kind of primed you a bit for it? Um, not really. I think I'm because I did that record with um, the, uh, the Beatmasters. Yeah. I was a featured artist, and I was 19 then. Well, actually, I met them when I was 18. Um, so the record was out when I was 19. Um, that was a kind of stepping stone for me. Sure. And I more or less, I just turned up at the studio, did my raps, because they said, I'll just rap. Here's a backing track. This is a, we're planning on making this a new single. And they said, can you rap in these verses? And this is the concept. So I went away for a day and I went back to the studio. It's in Old Street. It's called Strong Room, yeah. Strong Room in the Curtain Road, I think it is. And um, went back there and they mixed it and... The next thing I knew, I was on top of the pops <laughs> um, and it peaked at number seven. So I got to do all that sort of pop starry stuff with them um, at the beginning. So going off and doing, and people kind of knew who I was after that, or yeah. I was getting a name for myself, if you sure. like, especially in the clubs and stuff. I'd already done some groundwork, I think, before my debut stuff came out. 
so when like doing the do is um serviced out to the clubs people knew who i was and they yeah. were able to play it and they thought that it was a kind of a relative of hey dj because it was that sort of hip, of it's sort of up-tempo rap pop rap with a chorus yeah which you know there weren't that many songs like that in those days um so i was kind of all i was prepared for it but there again i didn't know it was going to be so big yeah. um and in fact looking back i don't think i had that much time to really appreciate it because yeah. um, we were working so hard i was just everywhere um just you know someday i wasn't very some sometimes it wasn't well organized because i'd have to go to italy and then come back to the uk um, like go to Italy for the day to do a TV program and then come back for the, in the evening to go to do Top of the Pops or I'd have to go on a plane, a private plane up to, you know, to do a gig. You know, I was all over the place. And after a while, you know, I got really tired and I was, yeah. I suffered from exhaustion. Um, I had to take a break from it. But um, looking back, it was it was great fun. Um, but... Again, there again, I mean, it's 18 hour days more or less. I mean, yeah. that's again, it's unnatural. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know we've got two tracks left, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Betty. But that's okay. you mentioned Top of the Pops, and and I just want you to tell me because anytime I have a guest on here that's been on Top of the Pops, I imagine you've been on there multiple times. I want to know about the first time we beat Masters. Um, did I mean, because it's ridiculous to try and explain to people that missed that that moment of music that was top of the pops because it was everything that was your bible for pop music you know you that was the only time you could literally see your pop stars you know you yeah. would see them on, on the pops um tell me about when you got the call from whoever saying you're on top of the pops how <laughs> that was and did it live up to your expectations when you actually got there got in the studio and see it all and yeah yeah i can't yeah it was really it was surreal um but growing up in shepherd's bush television center was just up the road oh, so of course. um so i was used to seeing pop stars in and around our area because there was a park as well next to it that you don't often see um pop stars having sort of press shots taken whilst in between waiting to go on to do top of the pops and yeah Things like that. I remember seeing Shwadi Wadi. <laughs> <laughs> Groups like that and Depeche Mode and all sorts, you know. Um, so it was kind of like, it was good to, it's really exciting to have that happen in your hometown, mm. you know. Um, so, yeah, to know that I was going to be on inside that building where nobody had been before, unless you're in the audience, was yeah. really exciting. Um but I do remember it feeling a bit like like a uh, a Russian, like a cold sort of prison. <laughs> so it was full of concrete. There's no, there were no aesthetics. You know, the, the changing rooms were really stark, um, and it was all in a big sort of. It was like a rabbit warren where you just didn't know where you were. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I remember had to smuggle in a hairdresser and a makeup artist because they because of the unions in those days they they insisted that they used their makeup and hair oh really so the same people yeah the same people that that would have done sue lawley's hair for, <laughs> or <laughs> angela ribbon 
you'd have done your hair. No, thank you. <laughs> I thought, no, I want to look spacey. I want to look spacey. I want to look. I don't want to look like a newsreader. So I smuggled some people in and uh, pretended they were from the label and stuff. So I got on. I managed to get my look going. Brilliant. Okay. Brilliant. Well. We've spoke about home a lot, so I'm going to take you home uh, for track six, and I'm going to ask you, please, Betty, to tell me your favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Well, this is this is interesting because, again, growing up, I think because it Shepherd's Bush, it was quite arty as well. So I think a lot of artists moved there, um, and Stuart Copeland lived up the road from us in um, from the police, or at least he had a flat there. Um, and I remember kids sort of queuing up, you know, sort of gathering outside his house, hoping to see him and stuff. Um, so I, I used to, I loved the police. Yeah. I, I mean, they were, again, they were one of my favourite groups. I, mm. I had one of their albums as well when I was growing up. And I loved um, Don't Stand So Close To Me. Yeah. thought it was great. The videos, again, they were like, they were like little mini films, weren't yeah, they? There was, totally. there was a bit of tension. There was a bit of um, narrative. Um, and you just wanted to watch them over and over again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anything by the police or that that particular record is yeah. uh, is one that I love. But to think that this, I mean, I thought police was like superstars, to, but to think that he lived in like two streets up the road from us is yeah. <laughs> really cool. Yeah, that's surreal. Um, I mentioned about confidence earlier and, mm. you know, from – from the, the, the she rockers to to to, to beatmasters to, to Betty and 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 obviously there's new music which we'll we'll talk about shortly. Tell me because the music industry is a ferocious place and and, and that's aside from obviously you as a writer as well. It's so competitive. It, you know, it's so fast moving. And aside from confidence, tell me about your relationship with Drive. With Drive, yeah. Oh, oh, to drive yourself to You'd to work. It. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I set myself. I think I'm I'm quite difficult on myself, actually. If I'm honest, I just leave things. I make things harder for myself. <laughs> Sometimes wow. I leave. Yeah, I, I've I've left things to the last minute to put pressure on myself. To what purposely? Say, or subconsciously, I think in lots of ways because I put things off. <laughs> and I think, no, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. And then somehow I'll get this sort of surge of, uh, oh, I've got to do it. And it's, and then I sort of, my brain goes into um, the right mode and yeah. I'm able to complete things. And I think I've always been like that because even at school, just doing essays, I was always a Sunday night, got to do it last minute yeah. <laughs> sort of thing. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I suppose drive. I I think getting older drives you <laughs> because yeah. you think, well, what are you waiting for? What yeah. you know? What you're going to do it like in ten years' time? Put out a new records? No, you've got to do it now. And that's what happened to me when I turned fifty. I just thought, no, oh, you've been putting this off for so long. This, you know, what what are you waiting for? Yeah. You've got to do it. Um, ha, ha, did you feel like you've been putting it off then? Definitely. I didn't feel I didn't feel like it was the right time ever. And also had to really think about is it okay for somebody who's been around who was around in those days to come back 
is it okay for a woman to do that is it what 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 are people going to think and then I thought well have you ever really worried about what people think <laughs> do you, and I actually haven't worried that too much yeah. you know um because if you did do that you wouldn't put yourself out there and make wouldn't music do anything. yeah yeah <laughs> exactly I mean you wouldn't play a tennis match if you worried yeah. about what people you know so again I use I mean I use tennis as a kind of a tool for me to to feel like I've achieved something yeah. it's sort of like it goes hand in hand with what I do um and uh yeah I just think yeah you just have to um yeah, you just have to motivate yourself and just go, yeah, just do it. You've got to. Don't worry about what I've, Don't listen to those little voices that say you can't do it. Yeah. You know, if you really want to – if you think in the back of your mind you can do something and you've got it in you, you've got to do it. If, um, Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Last track, Betty. I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear. Okay, so um, – not many people that I know know Cold Rocker Party by MC Light, and that's, it features um, Missy Elliott. And I think P Diddy's on there as well, doing a bit of a oh yeah or something. <laughs> you really underplayed his contribution there. He literally well, just grunted. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, and it's a it's actually a remix because um, the original isn't really like that. Um, by MC Light. They, this remix samples, um, I think it's Upside Down by Diana Ross. And the beat on it is just the swag, it's got so much swagger, and MC Light just raps on it. And she's 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 just amazing. I love her. Um, and Missy, obviously. Yeah. Everyone loves Missy. Um, it's one of the best tracks. I I mean, when I DJ, well, when I've DJs in the past, I've always played it, and people go, Oh, I don't know this. <laughs> and they start moving, they just start doing the, all the Missy moves and yeah. everything um yeah so yeah i think that's one of the greatest tracks actually do you know it do you know yeah i do i do yeah it's great and uh, cool. great use of the sample as well they kind of slowed it down as well like they did really slow it well. down so it makes it gives it kind of like you know it just makes you feel really cool <laughs> i'll take what i can get when it comes to that these days <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, baby, we put together a, a Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast so people can go and listen oh. to all of the songs that, that you've chosen and we've thrown some other ones that we've chatted about today and obviously we've put um, some, some of your music on there as well so about your music tell me about the new record let's get a big old plug in <laughs> okay so um, my new single mm-hmm. is called Shining Star and it's got um, a, a disco-y vibe on there and uh i had great fun writing it um and it's actually only we only finished it it was wasn't that long ago actually it was so it was so fresh we just thought we got to put it out so and it was on it's on the the album that's going to come out um in a few months i think yeah wonderful live shows Yes, I've got lots of festivals coming up. Um, I'm busy all summer, actually. Um, and it's great to be back. Um, there haven't. There seems to be a lot more festivals than ever. Yeah, <laughs> it everywhere. Seems. Yeah, they are. And they're in every town. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, must, I think I'm doing about 12 or 15 this oh, summer, wonderful. which is good. And sometimes I'm going to be going doing two in a day. And, yeah. But it's just... Yeah, I mean, I'm not complaining. It's just great to get out there and just meet people and um, 
and I think people are really ready to have like the best time. Absolutely. And if mm. people want to keep up the speed with everything that you're up to, where's the best place to, to, to keep up with uh, all things? Um, well, I'm on all the across all the social media platforms, um, Insta, um, Facebook and Twitter. And um, yeah, I usually put feeds up every other day and stuff. And, uh, and I've got a website as well, um, which is linked. It's all in the bio in the in the on the instagram so wonderful well we'll tag you in mm. it when we put this episode out um oh, lovely betty it's been such a joy talking with oh. uh, talking records with you today thank you so and much you. for your time it's been a real oh. pleasure oh it's been real really good fun thank you so much going lovely. down memory lane <laughs> <laughs> thanks betty there you go betty boo how cool was that what a lovely chat. We didn't even really touch on um, Betty's career as a songwriter and some of the incredible hits that she's written. Um, go Google them because, you, you know, she's very humble and uh, and didn't really sort of go into that. And, yeah, there's a big body of work there that's 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 absolutely mind-blowing. Um, yeah, that was, that was super ace, getting the kind of insight into you know and, and also that, that 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 thing that i'm talking about is the that the meeting with with uh professor griffin mcdonald's that we spoke about go go on uh the, the internet and and search for that uh i think it's on betty's youtube channel actually uh go and have a look because it's just it's wonderful and uh and you can go and check out the new video over there and obviously uh all the big hits as well uh and yeah so go give her a follow on the socials go um get stuck into the new music and uh yeah, I'll be back next time. Also, uh, I have a Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash off the beaten track. Um, and then you can support the podcast over there and get access to all my radio shows. You can watch all the episodes. You can go and watch this episode over there. Um, yeah, I think I'm done talking. I've been nattering now for over an hour. Um, everything you need to know about this podcast, off the beat and track podcast.com. I'm back next time. Much love. Bye-bye. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Eat it, boy.